All aboard the A-Train Sports Talk podcast. Your conductor here, Anthony Smith, telling you to go ahead, grab your ticket, get on board, put your seatbelt on, enjoy the ride. It's the A-Train Sports Talk podcast, the train that's building up ahead of steam, picking up passengers along the way. So grab your ticket, get on board, and enjoy the journey. It's your host, Anthony Smith, conductor of the A-Train Sports Talk podcast. And that show is starting right now. This is Tracy, host of the Moonstar Podcast, and you are listening to A-Train. Buckle up, baby, and enjoy the ride. Woo! Welcome to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. As I always say, this train is building up ahead of steam, picking up passengers along the way. However, today the conductor is rolling solo, and we do have some news. Today is Monday. That's right, Monday, June the 21st. Wow. If it's June the 21st, that means I have less than 30 days, and I will be the big 45 years old. Okay, well, I guess I need to clean that up. Turn those numbers around. I'll be looking at 54. Anyway, today is Monday, June the 21st. And we have a lot to get to today. It's been a while since I've done this, and I hope you have missed me because I've missed doing this. Yes, I have slipped in a couple of best of interview podcasts because since I've been doing this, I've been blessed to interview some people near and far away and look forward to doing some more interviews but today we're going to get into some college news and one of the stories that we're going to actually get into will be the high court rules against NCAA on compensation that has been a hot button topic and we are going to get into that just as soon as possible. Right now, we're having some computer glitches look like. Uh, one thing I hate about computers at times, or when you're onto something, you have the little spinning wheel, which means it's thinking, which means there's probably a slow connection, which means in other terminology, there's always more than one way to skin a cat's tail. So we get into this story because I do have a backup plan. I was hoping to get it to you from the ESPN side of things, but we will go to CNN politics and the Supreme Court rules against NCAA opening door to significant increase in compensation for student athletes. A unanimous Supreme Court said on Monday that student athletes could receive education-related payments in a case that could reshape college sports by allowing more money from a billion-dollar industry to go to the players. College sports raise billions of dollars from ticket sales television contracts and merchandise and supporters of the students say the players are being exploited and barred from the opportunity to monetize their talents. In 2016, for example, the NCAA negotiated an eight-year extension of its broadcasting rights to March Madness worth $1.1 billion annually. Justice Neil Gorsuch delivered the opinion of a unanimous court targeting the education-related benefits at issue in the case. But in a concurring opinion, Justice Brett Kavanaugh said the NCAA is essentially acting above the law in how it treats athletes and questioned if more spending limits should fall. Nowhere else in America can businesses get away with agreeing not to pay their workers a fair market rate on the theory that 
their product is defined by not paying their workers a fair market rate, Kavanaugh wrote. And under ordinary principles of antitrust law, it is not evident why college sports should be any different. The NCAA is not above the law. It is our hope that this victory in the battle for college athletes' rights will carry on a wave of justice uplifting further aspects of athlete compensation. This is the fair treatment college athletes deserve. Steve Berman, managing partner of Hagen's Berman, which represented students in the case, said in a statement on Monday, the ruling is the first time in decades the Supreme Court has considered the issue and is a dramatic win for a class of students who said that they were being exploited. The NCAA had argued that the spending caps at issue were necessary to preserve a distinction between amateur and pro sports. A district court preserved limits on compensation unrelated to education, but ruled that caps on some education-related benefits violate antitrust laws. The ruling was largely upheld by the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. Although the schools did not make immediate changes waiting for the legal process plays out. Gorsuch said that the lower court had laid out the correct fact-specific test that judges should use to assess restrictions, and he rejected a more lax standard put forward by the NCAA. So, once more, if the NCAA believes certain criteria are needed to ensure that academic awards are legitimately related to education, it is presently free to propose such rules, and individual conferences may adopt even stricter ones, Gorsuch wrote. The lower court also said that the NCAA must also permit student-athletes to receive unlimited, non-cash, education-related benefits, including post-eligibility internships. The students can also receive annual payments up to $6,000 if they maintain maintain academic eligibility. Opening up to future challenges. Steve Vladek, CNN Supreme Court analyst and professor at the University of of Texas School of Law, said Gorsuch's opinion for the court repeatedly describes itself as modest, but it's likely to be anything but. As Justice Kavanaugh's concurrence poignantly notes, by ruling against the NCAA here, the justices have effectively undercut the central justification the NCAA uses for any number of practices that wouldn't fly in other industries, Vladek said Monday. The floodgates are now open to any array of claims from student athletes and the NCAA's amateurism-centric business model is likely to face far larger and more wide-ranging challenges in the near future, Vladek added. Seth Waxman, the lawyer for the NCAA, urged the court to reverse the lower court decision, arguing it would cause money to flood into a few schools under the guise of education-related spending. He said it would allow for, instance, post-eligibility internships for thousands of dollars, further blurring the line between amateur and pro athletes. The new allowances are akin to professional salaries, Waxman said at oral arguments. Before the lawsuit, schools were allowed to provide tuition and fees room and board, books, and other expenses related to the cost of attendance. They are permitted to make payments for certain athletic participation awards, tutoring, and study abroad expenses related to a course. Jeffrey Kessler, a lawyer for football, bowl, subdivision, and division one men's and women's basketball players behind the challenge, dismissed such concerns, telling the justices that the model of amateurism can be maintained even when providing more compensation to the students for education-related expenses. He urged the justices to agree with the lower court in an opinion that he believed was carefully tailored, freeing the conferences and the schools to compete for student-athletes by supporting their academic achievement. Legislative Efforts for Athlete Compensation Even though the The decision does not directly address name, image, and likeness. The NCAA remains committed to supporting 
name, image, and likeness. Benefits for student-athletes, said NCAA President Mark Emmert Monday. Additionally, we remain committed to working with Congress to chart a path forward, which is a point the Supreme Court expressly stated in its ruling. Multiple bills have been introduced in Congress since 2019 to address college athlete compensation. Florida Republican Senator Marco Rubio's Fairness and Collegiate Athletics Act called for the NCAA to implement rules for college athletes to be compensated by third parties for their names, images, and likenesses by June 30, 2021. Representative Anthony Gonzalez, an Ohio Republican and a former NFL player, along with Representative Emmanuel Cleaver, a Missouri Democrat, also introduced bipartisan legislation aiming to compensate college athletes. New Jersey Senator Cory Booker, a Democrat, also led legislation for athlete compensation with College Athletes Bill of Rights. And in February, Democrats Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut and Representative Lori Trahan of Massachusetts announced the the College Athlete Economic Freedom Act. The NCAA collusion machine designed to keep college athletes impoverished so the billions in profits can be kept for a small cabal of insiders is finally starting to crumble to pieces, Murphy tweeted Monday. Trehan, who received a scholarship to play women's volleyball at Georgetown University, said on Monday, the high court's decision, a step closer to getting athletes compensated for use of their name, image, and likeness, but said it is not a solution to all the problems within the NCAA system. It's imperative that Congress build on today's progress by codifying college athletes' right to monetize their NIL without the interference from the NCAA, Trahan wrote in a Twitter thread. Then we must go farther by guaranteeing them the right to organize and collectively bargain for the compensation, safety, and playing conditions they're owed. While today's decision preserves the lower court ruling, it also reaffirms the NCAA's authority to adopt reasonable rules and repeatedly notes that the NCAA remains free to articulate what are and not truly educational benefits consistent with the NCAA's mission to support student athletes. So there you have that report on what was ruled today as a major blow to the NCAA. All I can think of, what would Brian Bosworth, y'all remember the Bos back in the day? You know, the one that made it to the NFL, got steamrolled by Bo Jackson. Remember he was banned from playing in the Orange Bowl? And while on the sidelines, he had NCAA, which stood for National Communists Against Athletes. What do you think he has to say about such a ruling today? It remains to be seen. Anyway, this is your conductor, Anthony Smith, a Train Sports Talk podcast. What I'm going to do right here is I'm going to take a break. And when I come back, I will have some more news for you. So stay tuned. The train is just now building up some steam. Welcome back. Monday, June 21st, A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Want to enhance your workout? Try the workout bands everyone is talking about. Three different resistance levels, light, medium, and heavy. Only at www.kakeybums.com. That's www.kakeybums.com. www.kakeybums.com to enhance your workout with the resistance bands that everyone is talking about. Anthony Smith here with A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your conductor. Just want to let you know that this 
podcast is listener supported. That's right, driven by you, the listener, who wants to support. So click on that support button down there. You have three options, 99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month. We'll get your ad rent on this podcast. So click the support button. Your support will be greatly appreciated. Once again, Anthony Smith with the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. This is Tracy, host of the Moonstar Podcast, and you are listening to A-Train. Buckle up, baby, and enjoy the ride. Woo! Welcome back to my next episode. As you know, the Philadelphia 76ers got ousted from the playoffs in the seven-game series against the Atlanta Hawks. And, of course, we know somebody had something to say. Who would that somebody be? Of course, if you look at the set on TNT, you know that one somebody would have to be one Shaquille O'Neal. And Shaq has a brutally honest message for Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is facing a lot of criticism following his performance in the Eastern Conference second round playoff series loss to the Atlanta Hawks. The former number one overall pick had a dreadful series for the Philadelphia 76ers. Simmons had little to no impact on offense and was even taken out of the game late in game seven. Doc Rivers clearly didn't trust Simmons with the ball late in the deciding game. Legendary NBA big man Shaquille O'Neal had a blunt message for Simmons following game seven loss to the Hawks. He said, if he was in my locker room, I would have knocked his ass out. I don't want to hear that. Get out of my face with that, O'Neal said on TNT. Simmons, meanwhile, admitted that he has a lot of work, has a lot to work on this summer. The first thing I'm going to do is clear my mind and get my mental right. You got to be mentally tough. You can't take games for granted, especially in the playoffs. Every game matters. Every possession matters, he said. The question, of course, is will Simmons still be on the 76ers in 2021-22? Trade rumors are beginning to swirl for the former number one overall NBA draft pick. Many feel that Philadelphia needs to move on from Simmons this offseason. So my question to you is, do you really think it's time to break up the Simmons-Embiid marriage? A lot has been said that the two really don't get along. My only issue is that's what people are saying. We haven't heard Embiid or Simmons say that. Now, maybe if you split the two up, maybe some reports will come out after the fact, as is the case a lot of times. I mean, case in point, look at Le'Veon Bell. Why would I bring him up in a situation like this? Because he has some words to say that he would never play for Andy Reid. He said he would retire before he played for Andy Reid again, which also caused some riffraff with some of the players that are currently on the team backing their coach. So could it be that we don't know nothing of the relationship between Ben Simmons and Embiid until maybe there is a possible trade in the works? So, let's get to some of these rumors since we have been on the trading block. The NBA world reacts to the Ben Simmons trade rumors. Will Ben Simmons be a member of the Philadelphia 76ers next season? That is a question. The answer to that question is very much up in the air following game seven on Sunday night. Simmons and the Sixers fell to the Atlanta Hawks in the Eastern Conference semifinals. Philadelphia, the number one seed in the East, is going home early. 
Simmons is a major reason why. He had a pretty awful series against Atlanta, often disappearing offensively in the second half of games. At the end of game seven, Simmons wasn't even on the floor for multiple key possessions as Doc Rivers clearly didn't trust him with the ball. Should the, 70s, should the Sixers pursue a trade for Simmons in the offseason? Many in the NBA world are speculating that a trade is coming. The question, of course, is how much value does Simmons currently hold? NBA front offices watched the playoffs, after all, and Simmons didn't show much value against the Hawks. It will be interesting to see what kind of player the Sixers can get back for their former number one overall pick. Uh, here go some comments from Twitter. Uh, Mark Stein at the Stein line. The Sixers will obviously explore the Ben Simmons trade market in the offseason, as seen in January when Simmons was the centerpiece of Philadelphia's James Harden pursuit. That's not the question. Try. Is there a market now? Elliot Shore Parks at Elliot Shore Parks. The hashtag Sixers have to trade Ben Simmons. It's like the Carson Wentz situation, addition by subtraction. And how about Sam Vecini at Sam Vecini? One actual serious Ben Simmons trade take. The 76ers are not going to have to dump him. They are rebuilding teams that will be interested. There are rebuilding teams that will be interested. He will return positive value if Maury decides to move him, which, like, he should. And how about Kyle Newbeck at Kyle Newbeck? His value is at an all-time low, and he is far from the only reason Philly's season is over. But Ben Simmons simply cannot be here next year for his sake and the sake of the franchise. The Sixers need to trade Ben Simmons for his sake and their own. So those are some of the tweets going out about Ben Simmons. Anyway, Simmons, meanwhile, has made it clear that he wants to stick around. I want to stay here. I love it in Philly. I love this organization. The fans are great, great people. I had a bad series. I expect that the fans to chant, trade Ben Simmons, he said. Here goes another tweet. Austin Krell at NBA Krell. Ben Simmons on stand in Philly. I want to stay here. I love it in Philly. I love this organization. The fans are great. Great people. I had a bad series. I expect that the fans to chant trade Ben Simmons. So that's a hot tweet going out. Some players getting mentioned as possible targets for the Sixers in a Simmons trade are C.J. McCollum, Zach Levine, John Wall, and Kimball Walker, among others. Of course, this is all just speculation for now. But a Simmons trade seems very possible this summer. Sticking with the association, moving in a different direction. How about sports media world reacts to Jeff Van Gundy's comments? If it ain't Jeff, if it ain't Stan, it's Jeff. So what is it that has the media world in an uproar? Let's see if we can find out. Jeff Van Gundy typically doesn't hold anything back while calling NBA games for ABC ESPN. He was especially true on Sunday afternoon. The former NBA head coach turned broadcaster had quite the comment when talking about Dallas Mavericks star Luka Doncic. And if you can just bear with me one second as I resolve this computer glitch that appears to keep rearing its ugly head.
there's one thing that most people cannot stand in radio and probably in podcast is the sound of dead air. So excuse the dead air moment there as we try to capture the words of one Jeff Van Gundy. And yes, he is very outspoken. And we're going to get his comments. Okay. If we can find it. (laughs) Tell you what we're going to do here. Here's how we're going to do this. And we are about to pull up and here we go. So as we have it, Jeff Van Gundy had quite the bit to say. We'll start this story over. Jeff Van Gundy typically doesn't hold anything back while calling NBA games for ABC ESPN. That was especially true on Sunday afternoon. The former NBA head coach turned broadcaster had quite the comment when talking about Dallas Maverick star Luka Doncic. Van Gundy appeared to say the following about the European guard. He's faster than he looks. Don't let his whiteness take away from his quickness. He's an athlete. Van Gundy appeared to quip during the broadcast on ABC. Wait a minute. Hold it. Let me put a pen right there. I got something to say. Some of you listening to this podcast, y'all don't know nothing about the man I'm going to name unless you're my age or older. Anybody remember CBS on Sundays? NFL football, Jimmy the Greek. Remember how Jimmy the Greek described black athletes? He described them as being built for speed and power and can jump. And I am going to try to pull up those exact comments that he made because he made quite a bit. Jimmy the Greek fired by CBS for his remarks. This was back in January the 17th, 1988. And I'm going to get back to the Jeff Van Gundy because I have to incorporate Jimmy the Greek says blacks are bred for sports. CBS sports commentator Jimmy the Greek Snyder in remarks that touched off a firestorm of reaction and criticism said in a televised interview yesterday. And this is a January 16, 1988 report that blacks are better athletes than whites because they have been bred to be that way. And that the only thing left for whites is a couple of coaching jobs. Snyder, 70 at the time, is in Washington for the CBS telecast of Sunday's NFC championship game. While he was having lunch at Duke Zebert's restaurant, he was interviewed by WRC TV reporters seeking comments on the significance of Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. Snyder's on-camera remarks were the lead story on Channel 4's newscast at 6 p.m., 
and immediately after he apologized saying he did not mean to offend anyone. I should have expressed myself a lot better than I did today, he said. In the Channel 4 interview, he was asked by WRC writer producer Ed Hodling about civil rights and sports. Snyder said, well, they've got everything. If they, blacks, take over coaching like everybody wants them to, there's not going to be anything left for white people. I mean, all the players are black. I mean, the only thing that the whites control is the coaching jobs. The black talent is beautiful. It's great. It's out there. The only thing left for the whites is a couple of coaching jobs. Later in the interview, he said, there are 10 players on the basketball court. If you find two whites, you're lucky. Either four out of five or nine out of 10 are black. Now, that's because they practice and they play and they practice and they play. They're not lazy like white athlete. The black is a better athlete to begin with because he's been bred to be that way. Because of his high thighs and big thighs, they can go up into his back. They can jump higher and run faster because of their bigger thighs, you see. Still later, I'm telling you that the black is the better athlete and he practices to be the better athlete and he's bred to be the better athlete because this goes all the way to the Civil War when during the slave trading, the owner, the slave owner, would breed his big woman so that he would have a big black kid. See, that's where it all started. WRC newscaster Jim Vance and Dave Mirage both criticized Snyder's remarks on the air, and the station reported it was swamped with telephone calls protesting Snyder's comments. People are upset and confused, said Chris Ostrowski, Ostrowski, assistant news director at WRC. Dan Rather also aired some of Snyder's comments on the CBS Evening News, as did NBC's Nightly News. An hour after the WRC interview was aired locally, Susan Kerr, a spokesman for the network, issued the following statement. CBS Sports deeply regrets the remarks made earlier today to a news reporter by Jimmy the Greek Snyder. We find them to be reprehensible. In no way do they reflect the views of CBS Sports. Snyder, a 12-year fixture on CBS Sports who earned a national reputation as a sports odds maker and analyst, is scheduled to appear on the pregame NFL Today show Sunday before the Redskins game against the Minnesota Vikings. Kerr said last night that no discussion had taken place yet on possible disciplinary action the network might take toward him. We'll have more on that tomorrow, Saturday, he said. That was 1988. Now, let's go back to Jeff Van Gundy and the year is 2021. He's faster than he looks. Don't let his whiteness take away from his quickness. He's an athlete. Van Gundy appeared to quip during the broadcast on ABC. Unsurprisingly, the sports media world has quickly taken to Twitter to react to his brazen comment. Most people are surprised that Van Gundy says something like that on the air, while others are praising him for the brutal honesty. Here are what some of the people are saying on Twitter. Bomani at Bomani underscore Jones. JVG saying the quiet, the quiet part out loud, and I appreciate him for it. Isaac K. Lee at Isaac K. Lee. Did JVG really just say that? LOL. Mason Ginsburg at Mason Ginsburg. JVG just said what? Van Gundy, 59, might not be in broadcasting for much longer. The former NBA head coach is reportedly being considered for a new head coach opening. According to ESPN NBA insider Adrian Wojnarowski, the Portland Trail Blazers are considering the former head coach for their opening. The Blazers parted ways with longtime head coach Terry Stotts following his season's first-round playoff exit. For now, though, Van Gundy will continue to entertain on television. 
So there you have the comments of one Jeff Van Gundy. Tell you what I'm going to do right here. I am going to take another break. And when I come back, I will have some more news. So stay in your seats. The ride is not over. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. This is your conductor, Anthony Smith. Glad you can come along. Hey, what's happening? It's Rick Thomas with Running the Table, and you already know you are on board the A-Train. Hang on for the ride. What I want to do is I want to close out with a story that broke back in, you know, this may sound like old news to some, and maybe some of y'all might even miss this news because I was scratching my head when I seen reference to this the other day, and I'm thinking, okay, what's going on? But I know, but I still want to share this story. Like I say, it broke back in January 21, January the 21st, 2021. Kansas City Monarchs baseball team returning with rebranding of the T-Bones. Negro Leagues Baseball Museum will have extension at Ballfield in Kansas City, Kansas. Kansas City, an iconic brand is returned to Kansas City thanks to a new partnership announced Thursday morning. The Kansas City Monarchs baseball team is back in town. In an announcement made by the Negro League Baseball Museum Thursday, Museum President Bob Kendrick announced a partnership between the museum and the Kansas City T-Bones, the minor league baseball team out of Kansas City, Kansas. As a result of the partnership, the T-Bones are being rebranded as the Kansas City Monarchs. Also, as part of the partnership, the Negro League's baseball museum will have a small expansion at the team's ballpark in Kansas City, Kansas at the Legends. It's a historic legacy for Kansas City. The Monarchs were Kansas City's Negro League team, and it was the longest-running franchise in the history of baseball's Negro Leagues. Iconic names in baseball spent time in Kansas City as part of the team, including Satchel Paige, Jackie Robinson, Buck O'Neill, and Hank Thompson. It's a name that is legendary not just in Kansas City, but nationwide due to baseball's rich history. One thing's for sure. So there you have some interesting tidbits on how the Kansas City Monarchs came about to be. A team that was once the T-Bones, went into a partnership with the Negro League Baseball Museum and have now been rebranded as the Kansas City Monarchs. And let's just keep going with more stories on this. How an independent league club rebranded itself, the Kansas City Monarchs, the revered Negro League's team. Bob Kendrick, president of the Negro League Baseball Museum in Kansas City, was taken aback. Mark Brandmeier, owner of the city's independent minor league baseball team, wanted to discuss an idea. Brandmeier had purchased the club, being known as the T-Bones, in October 2019. The T-Bones had lost their 2020 season to the COVID-19 pandemic. By last fall, Brandmeier thought it was a good time to start over, to rename the team. The name he had in mind would resonate particularly in Kansas City and also carry greater meaning in the baseball world, the Kansas City Monarchs. Initially, Kendrick said, it threw me for a loop. The Monarchs, who existed in some form from 1920 to 65, produced the most major leaguers of any Negro League franchise. 
and one moment as we gather the rest of these notes here. Okay, if we can get that, let's go. Here we have it now. The name he had in mind would resonate particularly in Kansas City and also carry greater meaning in the baseball world, Kansas City Monarchs. Initially, Kendrick said, it threw me for a loop. The Monarchs who existed in some form from 1920 to 65 produced the most major leaguers of any Negro League franchise. Three Hall of Famers, Willie Brown, Satchel Page, and Hilton Smith, are depicted on their plaques in Monarch's caps. Nine other Hall of Famers, including Jackie Robinson and Ernie Banks, also play for the Monarchs. The team's original owner, J.L. Wilkinson, is in the Hall as well. The museum, established in Kansas City in 1990, owns the Monarch's name. Buck O'Neill, a founder and board chairman of the museum until his death in 2006, was a first baseman and manager with the Monarchs. Kendrick, who took over the museum's president in 2011, was initially hesitant to part with the name, knowing how beloved it is in Kansas City and what it meant to baseball history, Brandmeier said. But as the two began talking about a partnership to benefit both the team and museum, Kendrick quickly grew excited, thinking, this makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. A deal was struck. A legacy was revived. And on Tuesday night, the Monarchs will be reborn in their season opener at Legends Field in Kansas City, Kansas. The league, the American Association, remains independent, but it became an official partner league of Major League Baseball in MLB's reorganization for the minors. For museums in general, and history museums in particular, you're always trying to establish relevancy. How can I make this history relevant? Kendrick said. The Negro Leagues have played in over six haven't played in over 60 years. This actually brings the spirit of the Negro Leagues to life. When those young players put on those monarch pinstripes, and many of them are still dreaming of the opportunity of getting to the show, they will be channeling the spirit of Satchel Page, of Buck O'Neill, of Willard Brown. Hilton Smith, Jose Mendez, Ernie Banks, all of those legendary players who wore that Monarchs uniform so proudly. And in doing so, they bring them back to life. The rebranding was announced in January. Manager Joe Calfapetra had told some of the players, had told some of the players big news was coming. Left-hander Eric Stout caught the news conference said he was kind of shocked when he heard the new name as a baseball player you recognize the monarchs it doesn't matter where you're from east coast west coast said stout who is from a suburb of chicago and appeared in three games for the royals in 2018 we're representing something very serious something that runs deep in the bloodlines of baseball and of kansas city another team member outfielder darnell sweeney was equally moved being an African-American baseball player, you always hear about the Negro Leagues and the Kansas City Monarchs being at the forefront of it, says Sweeney, who appeared in 37 games for the Phillies in 2015 and two for the Blue Jays in 18. To put on that uniform is pretty cool. The Monarchs' first base coach is Frank White, a Kansas City native who played for the Royals from 1973 to 90 and is a member of the team's Hall of Fame. Earlier this month, before an exhibition game, White showed the team the former municipal stadium site where the original Monarchs played seven blocks from his home. The team then continued in uniform to a tour of the museum where White serves on the advisory board. The experience was educational for the, for the players. Some knew little about the Negro Leagues, some knew some nothing at all. They learned teams on the road would stay close to train stations, 
so they can move to the next city easily. They learned that the original Monarchs won the Negro Leagues World Series in 1924 and 42, and their curiosity didn't end there. They still asked me questions even a few days after they went on tour, White said. Most of them were saying, I thought it was going to be cool to go there, but after going there, it was more than cool. It was great. The players are also gaining a rapid understanding of what the Monarchs' name means in Kansas City. Sweeney notices a significantly higher level of interest compared to when he played for the T-Bones in 2019. For a minor league club playing in a major league city, Stout said, the buzz around town is kind of crazy. Brandmeier said the team is behind where it wants to be in ticket sales, citing the pandemic as a factor. Fans were reluctant to commit to season tickets during the winter months, and the Monarchs announced only two weeks ago they will operate at 100% capacity for the start of the season with no requirement for fans to wear facial coverings. The team expects to eventually attract sizable crowds to Legends Field, which seats 6,537 and more sponsors than in the past, too. It's a new world. All right. Former Kansas City Chiefs star Warren Moon and Krishna Koyo are expected to attend the Monarchs opener on Tuesday night. I just don't think that would have happened with the T-Bones, Brandmeier said. You might have asked people who the T-Bones were, and some might not even have known, even though they had been there for 17 years. But you ask people who the Monarchs are, and they instantly know who they are, who they were, how important they were to Kansas City. The legacy of players. The revival of the Monarchs name, however, is not simply to simply a bow to sentimentality. Both Kendrick and Brian Meyer see it as a business opportunity, one that neither could have imagined when Brian Meyer, a Kansas City native and entrepreneur, bought the T-Bones at the request of David Alvey, the mayor of Kansas City, Kansas. The T-Bones were a distressed asset, Brian Meyer said. The ballpark needed work. The previous owners had been evicted for failing to pay rent and utilities. Fan interest was wanting. I had looked into it before, turned it down, Brian Meyer said. Some companies are a little too far gone. Alvey, though, told Brandmeier that no one else in the area had done as much due diligence on the club, that the team might leave if he did not intervene. Brandmeier relented, figuring that if he simply ran a better operation, he might break even the first year. Then the pandemic struck, giving him a chance to step back and think about rebranding the team and improving his image. Brandmeier, a white man, viewed the Monarchs as a proud part of the city's heritage. Wilkinson, the Hall of Famer, the Hall of Fame owner of the original Monarchs also had been white, the only white owner at the inception of the 18 Negro League in 1920. The pandemic also had a pronounced impact on the museum, leaving it in Kendrick's words in a state of gloom and doom. The museum, a privately funded nonprofit, shut down for nearly three months, reopened with limited hours, then shut down again for 10 days on November 29th after two staff members tested positive for COVID-19. A partnership with Brandmeier represented a way for the museum to create revenue during a period of uncertainty. Parties reached a 10-year agreement with the potential for two additional five-year renewals, Brandmeier said. The museum will receive a minimum guarantee plus a percentage of all tickets, merchandise, and concessions sold. The original Monarchs, Kendrick said with a chuckle, are one of the few professional baseball teams that through their history seemingly had a different uniform almost every year. The museum granted the new Monarchs permission to design their own uniform, but the club will adopt a more traditional look at least five times during the course of the season. Kendrick said the most popular jersey is the 1942 version. That team included three Hall of Famers, Page, Smith, and Brown, and swept the Homestead Grays featuring Buck Leonard and Josh Gibson in the Negro League's World Series. The way Brandmeier sees it, the Monarchs offer an opportunity to continue telling the stories of such players to a bigger audience while also creating new stories. Interest in the museum and the Negro League is growing in other ways as well. In April 2020, Music City Baseball, the group trying to bring an expansion franchise to Nashville, worked out an agreement with the museum enabling it to adopt the name of another Negro League franchise, Nashville Stars. The deal will include revenue sharing, cooperation between marketing and social media efforts, and a potential spot to showcase the museum 
in a new Nashville ballpark. Kendrick said the museum already is receiving royalty payments from the sales of Star's merchandise. In December, awareness of the Negro Leagues received another boost when MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred recognized the seven professional Negro Leagues that operated between 1920 and 1948 as Major League. The statistics of approximately 3,400 Negro Leagues players from that period became official as well. Though that process is complicated and ongoing, when the pandemic first hit us, nobody knew what the heck was going on. Now we put together one of the most amazing years in recent museum history, Kendrick said. It's all about resilience. This museum embodies the resilient spirit of the Negro League. And now here are the new monarchs ready to embody that spirit in a new form. They travel, they will serve as walking billboards for the museum and Negro League history. But when they're at home, the experience will be unique to Kansas City. The greatest feeling is going to be every night. The PA announcer is going to say, here comes your Kansas City Monarchs, White said. The name is going to be recited over and over again. And there you have it. The rebranding of what is now known as the Kansas City Monarchs. Well, this train is about to pull into the station. I hope you, the passengers that have been listening to this podcast, will have found this to be a very entertaining podcast today with news from different scopes of sports, from the NBA to baseball. I just hope you found this ride to be an enjoyable journey. Until the next time, keep that ticket. You'll need it. Because that ticket is reusable. But until the next time, take care of yourself and each other. The train is pulling in, and I am signing off. This is your conductor and host of the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, Anthony Smith, saying God bless.